the need for a zero trust model in cybersecurity, protecting critical infrastructure in the age of IoT, and what's best practices for boards and communication teams in the event of a breach. These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hello, I'm Nick Holland. Critical systems are under attack from external and insider threats, and no access or transaction should go unchecked. That's why former federal CISO Gregory Tuhill, a retired Air Force Brigadier General, advocates the broad adoption of zero-trust security in the public and private sectors. Tom Field, ISMG's SVP of Editorial, had the opportunity to interview Greg at the ISMG Breach Prevention Summit in Washington, D.C. recently. He asked him, why zero-trust now? Well, frankly, the better question may be, why not zero trust years ago? Why have we waited so long? And I think now is the perfect time to really make that leap into zero trust because we need to. You know, as we take a look at issues that every company and every government agency faces right now with high demand for skilled cyber workforce, but not enough people to fill a lot of the jobs, we continually bring more and more third-party contractors into our organizations. We have business-to-business partnerships that continue to expand. And, and frankly, you shouldn't trust anybody at this point. And one of the tenets of Zero Trust is to make sure that you continually authenticate every transaction. Too often, we are relying on legacy equipment and legacy ideas where trust is uh, misplaced and it's implied, and it's just not there anymore, and it never really was. So we've accepted way too much risk. Now's the time that we need to embrace zero trust to better manage our risk. So what is a common sense approach to implementing a zero trust model? Here's Greg Tuhill again. Well, first of all, you have to understand what your information is and the value of that information. And uh, as you may recall, when I was the Federal Chief Information Security Officer, I like to quote Frederick the Great, who said, he who defends everything defends nothing. We've got to stop trying to defend everything equally, and we've got to implement proportionate defense. Uh, We also need to make sure that we clean up what we already have. Uh, For example, Active Directory in most of our networks out there is a very powerful tool that we don't use to its full effect. And then third, we need to retire a lot of old and elderly capabilities. And I use VPNs, virtual private networks, as a great example. VPNs celebrated their 22nd birthday this year, so we can take it down to the local bar and have a beverage with them. VPNs were great and provide a great encrypted capability, but they also clog our firewalls like cholesterol in our arteries. Some of the new techniques that are out there, such as software-defined perimeters, can clean out all those VPNs and still give you that encrypted link and make your networks and your performance much sleeker and easier to manage. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. It's no secret that critical infrastructure is under constant cyber attack from adversaries from road actors to nation states. I recently spoke with Ron Ross, a fellow at the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, and asked him about just how vulnerable are we in a world of connected devices and an ever-expanding attack surface. 
Well, I think, Nick, the, uh, the thing that concerns most of us today is that, as you said, we're building a world of very powerful computers that are all interconnected. And so this problem of vulnerability goes almost into every critical infrastructure sector, federal government, state and local governments, big companies, small companies. Everybody has the same problem. We're all dealing with this very complex world of software, firmware, systems, hardware. And that complexity is where the adversary thrives. Uh, so how vulnerable are we? You don't know what you don't know. And what we're concerned about are not the known vulnerabilities, because once we understand those vulnerabilities, we can fix what we find. The real concern I have is how many vulnerabilities that we call zero days that are lurking below the surface. I call that below the waterline. Where are those vulnerabilities and, and how many are there? And how many of those does the adversary know about they just haven't exploited to, to date? That's the biggest concern. and. It's, it's more of a concern on the things that we really care about that can affect lives, people's lives, or critical services, things that we depend on in our society for our existence, as opposed to the routine, everyday technology that we might use around the house. So I was curious to know, what was Ron's major area of concern when it came to attacks on critical infrastructure? Here's Ron Ross again. Well, I think the, the one sector that always concerns most people is the energy sector and our electric grid. Because everything in our other critical infrastructure sectors, we all depend on energy to survive. And there have been a lot of stories out about some of the adversaries probing our grid, our systems, the power plants. And the one thing that we worry about with adversaries, they can do three things to us. They can exfiltrate information. They can steal stuff from us. They can also plant malicious code in these systems, and they can trigger it at a time of their choosing, not of our choosing. And the third thing is they can create new vulnerabilities once they penetrate a system and take control of that system. They can create new vulnerabilities that we didn't have before, and they can come back and exploit those at a later date. That's the part when I say we don't know we don't know, and that's the part that we're trying to solve with better engineering techniques and where you can actually have greater assurance in how these systems are built and constructed, reducing and managing that complexity. So we can get more trustworthy systems, especially those that are in the critical infrastructure. Clearly, NIST as an organization is well-placed to tackle these challenges to critical infrastructure. I asked Ron what initiatives are underway from the Institute to enhance the trust in products and components. Since 2016, we've been working on a set of engineering, system security engineering guidelines. And we're now starting to take that basic guidance, which appeared in our, our first flagship publication, 800-160. And those security design principles and concepts are now being integrated into our risk management framework. So the, the RMF has been in, in place for about over a decade. And that's what most of our federal agencies use to manage their security controls and deploy those safeguards in their systems at the enterprise level. But the 80160 concepts are going below the waterline. They're now trying to establish the best practices for how do you build more trustworthy systems. And that is a question not just for the federal agencies and consumers, but it also goes out to industry because those are the folks that are building all these great technologies and components. And so we want to be able to have a process and these controls and techniques in place where they can make their way into acquisitions and customers can actually ask for more trustworthy components. And that demand then hopefully will drive industry to build more trustworthy products, which can then be put into systems which will be more trustworthy. That's the, that's the objective. We're only a few days into 2019, but if 2018 is anything to go by, we're probably going to see a continuing avalanche of data breaches on a daily basis. 
given the somewhat inevitable, not if, but when, of an attack on your organisation, now is the time to get your board's attention regarding breach response and public disclosures. In another interview with Tom Field, attorney Mark Rash offers insights in preparing and practising response plan. Over to Tom. What are common mistakes you see organizations making when it comes to involving the board and communicating about a breach? Well, the first mistake that they make, uh, well, two mistakes. One is reporting a breach too early, and the other is reporting a breach too late. Uh, there's a s- small sweet spot. If you report it too early, you may not have the kind of information that you're going to need to be able to effectively manage the breach. You come out and you say, we had a breach and involved a bunch of records. We don't know anything else. Thank you. And that's going to cause more confusion and more harm to the brand. If you report it too late, the first question they're going to ask is, why are we only finding about, out about this now? So you want to be able to report a breach both to the board and to the public at a time when it's meaningful, when you have enough information to make the breach reporting meaningful, and when you have a plan on what to do about it. Beyond the reporting, what are some of the communications mistakes you commonly see organizations making? Uh, the, the biggest mistake that they make is not having answers to the most basic questions. When you have a breach, the first thing somebody's going to want to know is what was breached, how was it breached, when did you learn about it, and what are you doing to help me mitigate harms resulting from the breach? Then you're going to have a whole bunch of legal questions. The first thing that happens after a breach, if it's a major breach, is there's a class action lawsuit filed. And in fact, in the Marriott Starwood case, it was filed the same day they announced the breach. So you need to be able to respond to those types of concerns, uh, state attorney general lawsuits, FTC lawsuits, SEC lawsuits, now GDPR regulatory compliance. What all that means is you have to be ready for the breach weeks, months, years before it actually happens. So what's the advice that you give to clients that you work with about involving the board and about communicating, if you could boil it down? Have a well-defined breach readiness plan and bring the board in to practice and rehearse breach readiness. Normally when we do tabletop exercises, you have the IT, the public relations, the HR. You don't bring members of the board in. You want to involve the board because they're going to be involved when there's a real breach. Involve them in the fake breach as well. That's it for this week's ISMG Security Report. The music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Nick Holland. Catch you next time. Thank you.